Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano has released a statement over the weekend in which he suggests that it's highly possible that Pope Francis is, in fact, not a valid pope. He suggests that he is an anti-pope, an enemy of the church. And all this in the context of the two rounds of dubia issued by four, uh, four not five, cardinals of the Catholic Church, Cardinal Braunmuller, Cardinal Burke of the United States, Cardinal Sarah, Cardinal Zen of China, who's also released yet another statement this week warning about the dangers of Pope Francis's coming synod, and Cardinal Inunez in Mexico. Archbishop Vigano is going one step further. He's suggesting that perhaps Francis is not Pope at all. I told you I was going to do this show. It's highly controversial. I'm going to read Archbishop Vigano's statement and discuss it along the way. As you know, Father James Altman, who was a very celebrated priest in America, who got in trouble with his bishop over his statement that you can't be Catholic and vote Democrat, or you, he has also come out and said that Francis is an anti-pope. He's not a valid pope. And more and more people are growing concerned as we move into the Synod on Synodality. I've been covering it over the last week. Two issues primarily, which are both featured by the five cardinals in their dubia, and that is the topic of women's ordination to the diaconate and the priesthood, and also the topic of the blessing of same-sex unions. And I encourage you to watch the two last videos that I did on those topics. I read the exact statements from the cardinals, the exact responses from Pope Francis. Um, there's no fudging. I'm just reading you what is stated and going through it. And today we're going to do the exact same thing with Archbishop Vigano. Now, I know there's going to be a lot of people that are saying, Taylor, how can you cover this? This is sedevacantism. This is schismatic. But I think that Archbishop Vigano has been such an eminent voice since the summer of shame against ex-Cardinal McCarrick. He has in many ways been a thought leader in the church, and so we cannot just simply ignore it. I get so many requests to talk about what Father James Altman is saying, and now Archbishop Vigano. It has to be dealt with. And as you know, I've talked at length, and I'll bring it up again, about Robert Bellarmine and all these issues. And towards the end of today's podcast, I'll give you my personal layman's unauthoritative opinion that carries no weight whatsoever in the Catholic Church. It's just one guy who is a dad on a webcam. So that's today's show. I'd encourage you, if you like it so far, give it a like. And if you're new, please make sure you do subscribe and hit that bell. All right, before we get started, I think on such a delicate subject, we should begin with a prayer, and we're going to pray the Our Father to, together today. And I would invite you to join me. Oremus nomine Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in celi sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Panum nostrum quotidianum da nobis hodie, et dimiti nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. All holy popes, pray for us. St. Peter, pray for us. Nomine Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, let's get right into it. I have queued up here the document by Archbishop Viganot, Vitium Consensus. And there was a bit of a dust-up over this. Archbishop Vigano was due to do an interview with Michael Matt, who was a friend of mine. I was on the Sharta, Sharta pilgrimage this summer with him. He is a, a good man. And um, I don't know what happened here. I'm not taking sides on it. I did watch Michael Matt's video. I think there was some, some misunderstanding and some confusing confusion over things. I don't want to get into that. I'm going to focus on the actual statement itself. And and Archbishop Vigano leads off with Matthew chapter 7. 
It ends with, therefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. A very key teaching in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And I'll also skip the beginning and go right into the actual text. So the evidence of the Bergoglio problem is what he calls it. And again, I sense that we cannot, now that we have five cardinals objecting to the Synod of Synodality, writing two rounds of dubia, we've had Cardinal Mueller also say he has concerns. We have Archbishop Schneider, who we'll talk about today as well. He has concerns. This is, and it's all over the news. Like every single newspaper in the world is covering the controversies of the Synod of Synodality with regard to the blessing of same-sex unions, women's ordination, whether or not Catholicism can change, doctrine can change, morals can change. So it's not like we can just pretend this isn't here. All right. Here at the Dr. Taylor Marshall Podcast, we're going to go straight into it and we're going to talk about it. I hope you don't think I'm a bad person for doing that, but this is right in our face, right? The house is on fire. Let's talk about it. All right. Archbishop Vigano. He says, the proliferation of declarations and behaviors completely foreign to what is expected of a pope, and indeed in contrast with the faith and morality of which the pope is the guardian, has led many of the faithful and an increasingly large number of bishops to take note of something that until some time ago seemed unheard of. The throne of Peter is occupied by a person who abuses his power, using it for the opposite purpose to that for which our Lord instituted. Now, whether you agree with that statement or not, you have to admit that we are in a moment in Catholic history of great confusion. Very confusing. I'm going to pause now and just look at the comments here, say hello to all of y'all, and just make sure audio is fine and everything is good. Um, while we're getting started here, I'd encourage y'all to like this video and share it on Facebook and Twitter. Let's get a bigger audience in here to discuss this. So share it on Facebook and Twitter. I'm giving you a sober, responsive, responsible, theological analysis of what Archbishop Vigano is saying. This is not to scare you. It's not to be sensational. It's to be sober. Let's continue with Archbishop Vigano. Some say, says Vigano, that Jorge Maria Bergoglio is manifestly heretical in doctrinal questions. Others that he is tyrannical in matters of government. Still others consider his election invalid because of the multiple anomalies of the resignation of Bent the Sixteenth and the election, and uh, the election of the one who took his place. These opinions, more or less supported by evidence or the result of speculations that cannot always be shared, nevertheless confirm a reality that is now incontestable. And it is, the, it is this reality, in my opinion, says Vigano, that constitutes a common starting point in trying to remedy the disconcerting scandalous presence of a pope who presents himself with ostentatious arrogance as an inimicus ecclesiae, which is Latin of for enemy of the church, and who acts and speaks as such, an enemy who, precisely because he occupies the throne of Peter and abuses papal authority, is capable of inflicting a terrible and disastrous blow, such as no external enemy in the entire history of the church has ever been able to cause. The worst persecutors of Christians, the fiercest adherents of the Masonic lodges, and the most unrestrained heresiarchs have never before succeeded in such a short time with such effectiveness in devastating the Lord's vineyard, scandalizing the faithful, disgusting the ministers, discrediting its authority and authoritativeness before the world, and demolishing the magisterium, faith, morals, liturgy, and discipline. In other words, what we got going on here is infiltration. Check out the book, Amazon, get a signed copy, patreon.com. This is my book explaining how the enemies of the church have come in on the inside and whether you believe it's a deep infiltration or a slight infiltration, I think everyone 
observing this right now realizes there is some level of infiltration where you draw on how high you go in that infiltration. But everyone, I think, in 2023 agrees we have experienced an infiltration in the church. Archbishop Vigano says, Inimicus Ecclesiae, enemy of the church. Not only with respect to the members of the mystical body, which he despises, ridicules, he never ceases to launch poisonous epithets against it, persecutes and strikes, but also with respect to the head of the mystical body, Jesus Christ, whose authority is exercised by Bergoglio no longer in a vicarious way, which would therefore be in necessary and dutiful consistency with the deposit of faith, but rather in a self-referential and thus tyrannical way. The authority of the Roman pontiff is in fact derived from the supreme authority of Christ, in which it participates always within the boundaries and scope of the goals which the divine founder has established once and for all, and which no human power can change. The evidence of Bergoglio's alienity to the office he holds is certainly a painful and very serious fact, but becoming aware of this reality is the indispensable premise for remedying an unsustainable and disastrous situation. So, Archbishop Vigano lays down a pretty desperate situation in the life of the church currently in 2023. He goes on to say, in these 10 years of his pontificate, and there he puts on the scare quotes, we have seen Bergoglio do everything that would never be expected of a pope, and vice versa, everything that a heresiarch or an apostate would do There have been occasions when these actions have appeared manifestly provocative, as if by his utterances or certain acts of government, he deliberately wanted to arouse the indignation of the ecclesial body and urge priests and faithful to react by giving them the pretext to declare them schismatic. But this typical strategy of the worst Jesuitism is now uncovered because the whole operation has been conducted with too much arrogance in the areas of which not even moderate Catholics are willing to compromise. And I'll pause here. You know, this is something that's noticed this problem. Whether you agree with the diagnosis of Vigano or his proposed solution, if he gives one, people notice Protestants, Jews, atheists, Muslims, are looking at the Catholic Church in 2023 and saying, man, you guys are different. You're changing. You're not what we thought you were. Now, the modernists, the Nouvelle Théologie, will say, well, we're just deepening the message of Jesus. We're just evolving the message of Jesus based on the first principles of Jesus, which is be merciful and love everyone. But how can you be loving and love everyone and be merciful and merciful to everyone if you are changing, not developing, but changing faith and most obviously morals in the Catholic Church? It doesn't take a theologian. It doesn't take someone with a PhD. It doesn't take someone who is properly catechizing the Catholic Church, to look at what's going on and say something radical is happening in the Catholic Church. And by the way, there are people on the left who are watching this and are delighted because they see it as well. They see it as a move towards themselves. Vigano goes on, the sexual scandals of the clergy, and in particular the response of the Holy See to the scourge of moral corruption of cardinals and bishops have shown a shameful disparity of treatment between those who belong to Bergoglio's so-called magic circle and those he considers adversaries. The recent case of Marco Rupnik, who I call Marco Rapnik, is evidence of one who exercises power like a despot, Legibus Salutus, who considers himself free to act without being accountable for any of his actions. It often happens that the consequences of the decisions taken personally by the Argentine are then passed on to his subordinates, 
who find themselves accused and discredited for choices which are not theirs. I think of the case of the London building in which the officials of the Secretariat of State were involved, while the contract of sales, sale bears the August chirograph, that's the signature of the Pope, I'm guessing. I think of the shameful handling of the Rupnik case, which in addition to having, a rehabilit having rehabilitated a criminal responsible for horrendous crimes in contempt of the numerous victims, he has also discredited the former prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, Cardinal Ladaria. And I'm thinking of the McCarrick case, which with the face of secret administrative procedure was hastily liquidated without any compensation to the victims and declared res judica inappealable. And the list goes on and on. It remains evident that the unfortunates who willingly or unwillingly collaborate with Vigano find themselves thrown overboard as soon as the press discovers the Vatican scandals. Many are noticing the cyclical utilitarian behavior, which in fact brings them to decline appointments and promotions precisely so as not to find themselves in the uncomfortable role of a scapegoat. Back to Rupnik. Rupnik was raping nuns. Rupnik was showing pornography with nuns. Rupnik was using sacred vessels in sex orgies. He's a horrible man and his art is everywhere. His art is being used right now today as art for the synod of synodality. And he is a perverse Jesuit priest. There is a cardinal in Europe, I believe French, who has confessed to molesting a girl 30 years ago and yet it seems he is still a cardinal. How does that make sense? Nothing has happened to ex-cardinal McCarrick. Well, yeah, but Taylor, they made him not a cardinal. They laicize him. Yeah, that get, get, he gets away free with that. Instead of being under the censures of the church, he gets away free. Corruption. Tyranny and heresy. I'm, re I'm really interested here that Archbishop Vigano is not just going after heresy. He's going after tyranny. Unjust, cruel rule in giving examples. The next section, the silence of the episcopate in the face of the Bergoglian nonsense confirms that the self-referential authoritarianism of the Jesuit Bergoglio has found servile obedience in almost all the bishops, terrified by the idea of being made the object of the retaliation of the vengeful and despotic satrap of Santa, Mar Santa Mar Marta. That's where he lives. Some diocesan bishops are beginning to no longer tolerate his devastating action, which undermines the authority and authoritativeness of the whole church, Bishop Joseph Strickland, for example, has commendably reiterated immutable doctrinal truths that the Synod on Synodality in the coming months is preparing to demolish. And Cardinal Gerhard Ludwig Müller has rightly recalled that the Lord did not give power to the Pope to bully good bishops. Something, therefore, is beginning to change. Alignments are taking shape. And we see on the one hand Bergoglio's synodal church, which he em emblematically calls our church, and on the other hand, that which remains of the Catholic church, toward which he does not fail to reiterate his absolute extraneousness. Now he talks about Bishop Athanasius Schneider, and here we get into some of the intramural debate, debate going on with traditional Catholics and conservative Catholics on this hot topic issue of how do we handle a situation in which a Pope is acting in ways that seem contrary to historic tradition, historic faith, doctrine, morality, and where the good guys are getting investigated and pushed out and punished, and the bad guys are being protected and promoted. Archbishop Vigano goes on to say, Bishop Athanasius Schneider maintains that any irregularities that may have occurred in the 2013 conclave, that was the election in 2013 of Jorge Bergoglio, have in any case been healed in radice, 
which is Latin, in the root, to where we get the word radish, which is a root, has been healed in the root by the fact that Jorge Mario Bergoglio has been recognized as Pope by the cardinal electors, by the episcopate, and by the majority of the faithful. Practically speaking, the argument is that regardless of the events that may have led to the election of a pope, with or without external meddling in it, the church, practically speaking, places a time limit beyond which it is not possible to challenge an election if the person elected is accepted by the Christian people, but this thesis is called into question by a historical precedent. In the year 1378, after the election of Pope Urban VI, the majority of cardinals, prelates, and the people recognized Clement VII as Pope, even though he was in reality an anti-Pope. Thirteen out of the 16 cardinals questioned the validity of the election of Pope Urban due to the threat of violence from the Roman people against the Sacred College of Cardinals, and even Urban's few supporters immediately retracted their election, summoning a new conclave at Fondi, which elected the antipope Clement VII. Even St. Vincent Ferrer was convinced that Clement was the real pope, while St. Catherine of Siena sided with Urban. If universal consensus were an indefectibly valid argument of a pope's legitimacy, Clement would have had the right to be considered the true pope rather than Urban. Antipope Clement was defeated by Urban VI's army in the Battle of Marino in 1379 and transferred his see to Avignon, leading to the Western Schism, which lasted 39 years. Thus, we see that universal acceptance argument does not withstand the test of history. So here, Archbishop Vigano is is countering what Archbishop uh, Athanasius Schneider has said about sort of a radical sanation of an election in 2013. And by the way, we are dem- we are dealing here with the most eminent churchmen in the church, and I think we lay people, uh, this was obviously sent to us to read, but we lay people should watch these stalwart churchmen, bishops, archbishops, and cardinals with fear and trembling and pray for them. Vigano, Archbishop Vigano, goes on to say, Bishop Athanasius Schneider reminds us that the via tutior, which is Latin for the safer way or surer way, consists in not obeying a heretical pope without necessarily having to consider him ipso facto fallen from his office as separated from the church and therefore no longer capable of being at its head, as St. Robert Bellarmine believes. This is the book. I just keep it here on my desk. You know, 24-7, I'm like, I got Bellarmine here. I got I got Bellarmine here. I mean, we just got reigning Bellarmine here because these questions are constantly on my mind. But even this solution, which at least recognizes that Bergoglio is a heretic, does not seem decisive to me, says Vigano, since the obedience that the faithful can deny him is only marginal compared to all the acts of government and magisterium that he has carried out and continues to perform without his subjects being able to do anything about them. Of course, one can organize the clandestine celebration of the Catholic Mass, But what can a priest or layman do when a subversive group of bishops maneuvered by Bergoglio is preparing to introduce unacceptable doctrinal changes through the synod on synodality? And what can they do when in their parishes a deaconess blesses the wedding of two sodomites? Whoa, boom, explosive DJ Mike. What are you going to do? when a deaconette blesses a union, unnatural union. It's one thing to just, okay, I don't believe in that footnote in Amoris Laetitia, all right, that's sort of cerebral. What are you going to do when it hits your local parish or your local diocese? That's becoming the really big question with the Synod on Synodality 
and with the dubia of the five cardinals most recently. All right, so we're hitting, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is practical. Archbishop Vigano goes on to say, certainly disobeying the illegitimate, illegitimate orders of a heretical or apostate superior is a duty sub gravi, uh, under weight, right, under gravity, since obedience to God comes before obedience to men, and because the virtue of obedience is hierarchically subordinated to the theological virtue of faith. But the resulting damage to the ecclesial body is not prevented by an action of simple resistance. The root of the question must be resolved. And that, my friends, is what we're all dealing with, right? What are we going to do if and when? Well, for example, there are parishes that offer the traditional Latin Mass that have heard from their bishop who say within 12 months or within 24 months, there will no longer be a Latin Mass here. Transition your people out of that. Get everybody ready for Novus Ordo. There is a pause on any new traditional Latin Mass places. So the answer is, we'll all just find a traditional Latin Mass, which I say everyone should do. Or if you can't find that, find the Byzantine Catholic Divine Liturgy. But if those things are being demoted and cycled out, then where are you going to go? Right? So we're getting now to this practical problem. And that's what Archbishop Vigano is focusing on. So now he's going to go to the defect of consent. Now we're getting a little bit theological here. Thus taking notice of the fact that Bergoglio is a heretic and Amoris Laetitia or his declaration on the intrinsic immorality of capital punishment would be enough to prove it. We must ask ourselves in the 2013 election was in some way invalidated by a lack of consent. That is... If the one elected wanted to become Pope of the Catholic Church, or rather head of what he calls our Synodal Church, which has nothing to do with the Church of Christ, precisely because it stands as something other than it. In my opinion, this lack of consent can also be seen in Bergoglio's behavior, which is ostentatiously and consistently anti-Catholic. And heterogeneous with respect to the very essence of the papacy. There is no action of this man that does not blatantly have the air of rupture with respect to the practice of the magisterium of the church. And to this are added the positions taken that are anything but inclusive towards the faithful who do not intend to accept arbitrary innovations or worse, full-blown heresies. Now, what is this like? Okay, this is sort of like he's comparing this in a way, an analogy would be matrimony. You have to have the consent of the man and the woman. They consent to be married without coercion. You know, you can't have a shotgun against the groom's head and say, marry that girl, she's pregnant, or I'm going to pull the trigger. That's coercion, right? There's no consent there. There has to be true volitional consent and the intention to fulfill that marital sacrament and covenant. So if one of the persons is saying, um, I'm going to contracept, I'm not going to have children, I'm going to divorce this person in five years, any of those things in the mind at the moment of the vows is a lack of consent. And even though a ceremony happens and there's flowers on the altar and it's beautiful and there's a big party reception, if one of the parties during the exchange of vows lacks consent and says, I'm divorcing, I don't believe in death, uh, marriage till death do his part. I am divorcing this person for all their money in five years time. Or I will contracept and never have a child with this person. They are lacking consent in the mystery of matrimony. And what do we call that? We call that null and void. An annulment is a declaration that that was a null marriage. Those two people were never actually married because of a lack of a consent. So as some people are saying, Francis isn't Pope because of an illegitimate resignation by Benedict. Francis isn't Pope because of an illegitimate election. Vigano is actually going much deeper here, and he's saying the behavior and words of Jorge Bergoglio reveal 
that he did not have proper consent to even accept the papacy on him if Benedict weren't Pope and if it were a valid election, right? He's going, he's burrowing down a lot deeper. All right. Do you see, do you see what Vigano is saying here? Whether you agree with him or not, I just want to explain what he's trying to delineate. And hopefully Archbishop Vigano, Monsignor, if you, if you watch this, hopefully I'm doing this justice. Send me an email. Let me know how I'm doing. Vigano goes on. The fundamental question hinges on understanding the subversive path plan of deep church, which using the methods denounced at the time by St. Pius X with regard to modernists has organized itself to carry out a coup d'etat within the church and bring the prophet of Antichrist to the throne of Peter. The mens rea in infiltrating, here it is, infiltrating, boom, of infiltrating the hierarchy and ascending its ranks is evident, just as is evident the plans of the ultra-progressive faction could not stop in the fact of Benedict XVI, whom they considered too conservative, and whom they hated above all because he dared to promulgate the motu proprio sumorum pontificum, which is the uh, motu proprio that allowed every single Latin priest in the world to celebrate the traditional Latin mass without any permissions from Rome or their bishop, every priest was given the right to celebrate the traditional Latin Mass according to the books of 1962. That was reversed under Francis Bergoglio. And so Ben XVI was pressured to resign, and immediately there was ready the unknown Archbishop of Buenos Aires. On October 11, 2013, in a conference at Villanova University, then Cardinal McCarrick, Bergoglio's longtime friend, revealed that Bergoglio's election was strongly desired by a, quote, very influential Italian gentleman. That video, by the way, is on YouTube. You can watch it. An emissary of the deep state to the deep church. Those who work in the Curia know well who is called the gentleman, par excellence, and what his links are with the power on both sides of the Tiber, the Vatican and the Italian government. And they also know his embarrassing penchants that explain his close connections to the Vatican homosexual lobby. It is also significant that McCarrick said he was convinced that Bergoglio would change the papacy within four years, confirming the malicious intention to tamper with the divine and unreformable institution of the church. Seeing Bergoglio participate in an event sponsored by the Clinton Foundation, which I covered last week. Sorry, I'm going to straighten out my text here. After other no less scandal endorsement from the globalist elite confirms his role as bankruptcy liquidator of the church with the purpose of substituting the constitution of that religion of humanity that will serve as the handmaid of the synarchy of the new world order. Ecumenism, ecology, vaccinism, immigrationism, LMNOP, LGP, LMNOP, the gender ideology and other instances of the globalist religion are appropriated by Bergoglio, not only through an action of ostentatious and proud support for the proponents of the 2030 agenda, but also by means of the systematic demolition of everything that opposes it in the magisterium and the ruthless persecution of those who express even prudent perplexities. So, According to Vigano, Bergoglio is a heretic and blatantly hostile to the Church of Christ. To carry out the task assigned to him by the deep church, he concealed his most extreme positions so as to find a sufficient number of votes in the conclave. To ensure total obedience, those who watched the plan made sure that he was wildly blackmailable as always happens. And once elected, Bergoglio was allowed to show himself for what he is and begin the demolition of the church and the papacy, says Vigano. But is it possible for a pope to destroy the papacy that he himself embodies and represents, asks Vigano? It is possible for a pope to devastate the church that the Lord has entrusted to him. Uh, is it possible for 
for a pope to devastate the church that the Lord has entrusted to him to defend. And again, if a cardinal's participation in the conclave is intended to be malicious, if he intends a subversive act against the church, if the aim is to commit a crime, even if the procedures and norms of the election are apparently respected, there is undoubtedly a mens rea. And this criminal intention emerges from the cunning by which the cardinals who were accomplices to the plot collaborated in deceiving the cardinals who voted in good faith. I wonder then, are we not in the presence of a defect of consent that affects the validity of the election without saying that the very co-presence of a renouncing pope and a reigning pope is already in itself an element that leads us to believe that they had a false concept of the essence of the papacy considered to be a role that can be shared with others. So here he's saying, yes, we even had the idea that Benedict somehow believed that he was maybe a Pope emeritus or a co-pope or a passive Pope. And that Francis was an active, even those things are confusing and cause problems. But ultimately was there an intent to commit a crime in Bergoglio's heart? at the conclave. In other words, if a man and woman were at the altar receiving, apparently, publicly, the sacrament of matrimony, but the woman was saying, the only reason I'm marrying this man is not because of the sacrament of matrimony, but because on the honeymoon, I am going to murder him and get all of his money. That is not a valid marriage. If the intent, if the intention to enter into this union is to murder or to steal, it is a null marriage. It's not a real marriage. It's fake. This is the argument that Vigano is making with regard to Bergoglio. Without saying that, uh, yes, without saying that a very co-presence of a renouncing Pope, Benedict, and a reigning Pope, Francis, is already in itself an element that leads us to believe that they had a false concept of the essence of papacy, considered to be a role that can be shared with others, let us not forget that the distinction between munus and ministerium is arbitrary and that there cannot be a pope who dedicated himself to the ministry of prayer and another one who governs in the munus. Christ is one, the church is one, and there's only one successor of Peter. A body with two heads is a monstrum, monster, that is repug repugnant to nature even before the divine constitution of the church. Now he does the Thomistic element here, and he addresses possible objections. He says, some may object, but even if Pope Bergoglio acted with malice, he still accepted what the cardinals offered him, his election as bishop of Rome, and therefore as Roman pontiff. So he assumed office and must be considered to be pope. Vigano says, I believe instead that this, his acceptance of the papacy is invalidated because he considers the papacy something other than what it is. Like a spouse, here's the analogy, <clears throat> like a spouse who gets married in church but excludes the specific purposes of marriage from his intention, thus making the marriage null and void precisely due to his lack of consent. Not only that, what conspirator who acts maliciously in order to ascend to an office would be so na naive as to explain to those who must elect him that he intends to become Pope in order to carry out orders of the enemies of God and of the church. Good morning. This is Vigano. Good morning. I am Jorge Maria, Ma uh, Mario Bergoglio, and I intend to destroy the church by getting elected Pope. Will you vote for me? The mens rea lies precisely in the use of deception. Dissimulation lies in the delegitimization of annoying opponents and the elimination of dangerous ones. And the proof that Bergoglio intended to carry out the criminal plan of the globalist elite is right before our eyes. All the desired goals of the emails of John Podesta, Hillary Clinton's right-hand man, have been, have been or are being carried out. From the adoption of gender equality as a premise for the female ordination to LGBTQ plus inclusion, from the exception of gender theory to the participation in the Agenda 2030 on climate change, 
from the condemnation of proselytism to the exaltation of immigration as the method of ethnic replacement. And at the same time, there is the removal and condemnation of the other church, the preconciliar one, composed of rigid, intolerant people, starting with our Lord, as Antonio Spadaro blasphemously wrote, and with the cancel culture applied to faith and morals, there is also the elimination of the mass that intrinsically belongs to the church, which Bergoglio considers to be in conflict with the new ecclesiology to the point of prohibiting it as incompatible with the synodal church. So here I am. We're coming to the conclusion. Vigano says, so here I am. Throwing the sorry. So here I am, throwing the proverbial stone into the pond. I would like us to take seriously, very seriously, the possibility that Bergoglio intended to obtain the election by means of fraud, and that he intended to abuse the authority of the Roman pontiff in order to do exactly opposite of what Jesus Christ gave a mandate to St. Peter and his successors to do, confirm the faithful in the Catholic faith, feeding and governing the flock of the Lord, preaching the gospel to all nations. Now, I want to pause here. Vigano, Archbishop Vigano, His Excellency, is being careful here. He's not declaring, it seems, sede vacante. Maybe I'm wrong here. He is proposing a very serious, grave possibility for consideration. Look at what he says. He say, so first off, he says he's throwing the proverbial stone into the pond. You throw the rock in the pond and then the ripples go out from there, right? He says, I would like us to take seriously, very seriously, the possibility that Bergoglio intended to obtain the election by means of fraud. He goes on in the paragraph, all the acts of Bergoglio's governance and magisterium since his first appearance on the Vatican Loggia, when he introduced himself with his, with his disturbing good evening, has unraveled in a di direction diametrically opposed to the Petrine mandate. He has adulterated and continues to adulterate the deposit of faith. He has created confusion and misled the faithful. He has dispersed the flock. He has declared that he considers the evangelization of peoples to be a solemn nonsense, and he systematically abuses the power of the holy keys to loose what cannot be loosed and to bind what cannot be bound. The situation is humanly irremediable. A lot of these words don't always come into English that great. So part, part of me is I have to break them down in my mind. Because the focus at play are immense, and because the corruption of authority cannot be healed by those who are subject to it. And that's, I love that Vigano said that, like, we lay people, Taylor Marshall, you watching right now, we can pray the rosary, we can go to Mass, we can fast, we can do penances, but if we're subject to authority, there, there's no way for us to, to jump the line, right, and, and somehow be the judges of authority and to fix authority. Y'all see that? That's the really, really hard part. You know, my wife Joy and I were talking about this the other day. I'm, I'm, I, I just finished reading through Genesis and, you know, one of the things that hit me is that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And then he was in, he was in Egypt, you know, and he eventually got the next powerful position under the, under the Pharaoh. And then he went to jail because he was accused of trying to sleep with the master's wife. All these horrible things happened. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this whole time, Joseph is enduring evil from other people. And in a sense, there's nothing he can do about it. He just has to wait it out. And in my prayer and in my reading of the Bible, I, I thought to myself, this is us today. This is the church today. We are the Old Testament Joseph. 
other people are making decisions. It's hard for us, but we have to be patient and we have to pray and we have to know that somehow God's using all of this. And if you read to the end of Genesis, you know that there was a great famine and that Israel and his 12 sons and the promised people were preserved through famine because Joseph had been brought to Egypt and that some greater good was accomplished by God through something evil. And that's really the only sense I can make out of, of what's going on here. That's just a dad on a webcam talk right there. Take it or leave it. I'm, I'm not your pope. I'm not your cardinal. I'm not your bishop, your priest, your deacon, your religious. I'm just a guy who has a camera. That's it. So I'll just read that part again. The situation is humanly irremediable because the forces at play are immense and because the corruption of authority cannot be healed by those who are subject to it. We must take note that the metastasis, metastasis, that's it, metastasis, the cancer, the tumor of this pontificate originates from the conciliar cancer from that Vatican II, which created the ideological, doctrinal, and disciplinary basis that inevitably had to lead to this point. So now we're reaching beyond Francis, and we're going to 1962 to 1965, Vatican II. But how many of my confreres who also recognize the gravity of the current crisis have the ability to recognize this causal link between the conciliar revolution, the 1960s, and its extreme consequences with Bergoglio. Here's the conclusion by Archbishop Egano. If this passio ecclesiae, passion of the church, suffering of the church, is a prelude to the end times, it is our duty to prepare ourselves spiritually for moments of great tribulation and of true and proper persecution. But, it will be precisely by retracing the Via Dolorosa of the cross that the ecclesial body will be able to purify itself from the filth that disfigures it and merit the supernatural help that providence reserves for the church in times of trial. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That's a quote from St. Paul the Apostle. Finally, says Archbishop Igno. Finally, allow me to remind you that Exerge Domine Association, I found it, aims to give spiritual material help to priests and religious brothers and sisters who are persecuted by the Bregolian Church because of their fidelity to tradition. If you would like to make a donation towards the realization of our projects, you may do so at the association website, exergedomine.org, or by sending a text message. And there it is on the screen. There it is, Archbishop. Carlo Maria Viganò, and I would say his most controversial statement since the Summer of Shame in 2018. That's the most controversial because that touches on the nature of the church, the papacy. Can someone accept the election of the cardinals to become the supreme pontiff, the bishop of Rome, the pope, the vicar of Christ, and intend to damage, change, subvert dogma, morality, ecclesiology. Now, the answer I'll read here once again from St. Robert Bellarmine. De Ecclesia on the, on the Church, Book 2, Chapter 9. He says, one, one reason for calling together counsel is suspicion of heresy in the Roman pontiff, if perhaps it might happen, or if he were an incorrigible tyrant. Those are the two reasons. Incorrigible tyrant or manifest heretic and Vigano deals with both in this latest statement. Now, I promise you at the very beginning, I would give you my personal layman's opinion, which is not even worth one penny. All right? But it's the Dr. Taylor Marshall Podcast, and I got to tell you what I think. 
I am not a set of a contest. I am not a schismatic. You have heard me say a hundred times, probably, if you watch all my podcasts, you've heard me say over a hundred times, do not leave the Catholic Church. Do not become Eastern Orthodox. Do not leave the church. Do not become evangelical. Do not go to Joel Osteen's church. Do not join the Baptists. Do not join the Presbyterians. Do not join the Lutherans. As a matter of fact, at the back of my book, Infiltration, I give you all the options you could do. And I say, don't do it. Stay in the church. I think that we are living in an extreme crisis. I think next to the Aryan crisis, which was horrific, we are in a similar situation as Catholics. Very confusing. And, and I'll even add, it's, it's embarrassing, right? When I talk to my family that's not Catholic about how wonderful it is to be Catholic and the Eucharist and, you know, the, the fellowship of the saints and uh, the sacraments and being able to go to confession, all these beautiful things about being a Catholic. You often hear, yeah, but what about your Pope? It kind of sounds like a communist, Marxist, or he's kind of liberal, or, you know, what about when he said this? And what about, and there, there's sort of this embarrassment, you know, like, well, doesn't he like have idols? Like, what were those Pacha idols? And they, they bring these things up. It's very difficult and embarrassing. But as Vigano said, those subject to authority don't have the means, don't have the authority to fix it. So we must be patient. We must be humble. We must be joyful. I hope you can see that in me when I, when I do these podcasts, when I do these recordings. I do believe that I am a joyful person. I like my life. I, I love the church. I love my family. I love what I do. I love writing and, and talking about these things. And although it is hard, I know I have the, the one true faith. I know that it's beautiful. I love going to Mass. I, I love praying the rosary. You know, I, I love being Catholic. It's wonderful. But I will say there is this sort of daily burden of, but what's going on upstairs? The Vatican. It's complicated. That's one reason I wrote the book Infiltration, right? I'm a convert. I used to be a Protestant minister. I don't know if all y'all know that. I used to be a Protestant minister, and I became Catholic. And I became Catholic because the church was so pro-life, and the church had the catechism, and the church had answers, and the church had natural law, and the church had all of these. The church had a rock, Petros. And I wanted that. I wanted the stability, the firm footing of being a Catholic. And that's why I became a Catholic. That's why Joe and I became Catholic and, and we've raised our eight children as Catholics. It's beautiful. I love it. But then as I got into the Catholic church and I started encountering bishops who didn't believe everything. And then we got into, you know, you start going to mass and you're like, yay, hey, we're in a church where everybody believes in transubstantiation. And then you see what goes on and the liturgical abuse and the Eucharistic abuse, it's a little scandalizing, I got to tell you. I didn't grow up in the Novus Ordo. In, in many ways, the Episcopalians and the Anglicans that I knew were more reverent with, with their understanding of communion in the Eucharist than the Catholics who allegedly believe in transubstantiation. And that goes for the clergy, the bishops and the priests. So this was my own self-discovery of, well, how did things get to be the way they are now? I had to do research. I had to think it through. And as I did, I realized that there were bad people who had crept into the church. They had infiltrated the church. That's why the name of the book is Infiltration. It wasn't, I didn't want to write a number one bestseller, which it is. That wasn't the goal. The, the goal was for me to think through the problem. And it is a problem. So my opinion is the only way forward is to follow the procedure of St. Robert Bellarmine in De Ecclesia, book two, chapter nine. And that is for the cardinals of the church to admonish two to three times the Pope, he who materially fulfills the office, the chair, 
to determine whether he formally occupies the chair. They are to admonish him if there is not repentance, orthodoxy, steadfastness in the munus and ministerium of the office of keyholder, the Petrine office, then he's not the Pope. I mean, that's, that's what St. Robert Bellarmine says. And if he's not, then there needs to be a declaration of that. And there needs to be an election of a man who is truly a Catholic and who wants all men to be saved, which is the will of the Father. And the ministry and the purpose, the goal of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and rising on the third day. That's what this whole thing is about, is to save sinners and make them into saints. That's what this is all about. And I want everyone in the whole world, whether you were raised a Muslim or a Jew or a Lutheran or an atheist or a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Sikh, I don't know, wherever you were raised, I want you to experience the love of Jesus. I want you to experience the consolation of the Holy Eucharist. I want you to be in the one big family, which God is the Father, Jesus is the Redeemer, and there's a mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and all of your friends, your brothers and your sisters, all the saints, we're all one family redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We should want that for the whole world. It's not enough to say, oh, you're a Muslim, that's kind of Abrahamic, cool, keep doing that. No, we want to give everybody everything. Kataholos in Greek, according to the whole. That's Catholic. That's where we get the English word Catholic. According to the whole. I want every Muslim to have all the gifts of God according to the whole, which includes baptism and confirmation. We want that for atheists. We want that for Jews. And we have to live that, and we have to teach that. We're in a situation right now where bishops, seemingly maybe Pope Francis, doesn't want that. That's proselytism. That's bad. We're just supposed to dialogue and carry around Pachamamas and, I don't know, have synods of synodality till the cows come home. I don't know. So my goal is to double down and do more catechesis, more explanations of what the church teaches on baptism and the Eucharist and the Blessed Virgin Mary, sacred scripture, Old and New Testament, and yes, continue to cover the news as it comes out because people want to know what's going on. And I hope you find that I give you a sober treatment, that it's responsible, that's not sensational. So I'm just going to close up. I'm not a set of a contest. Do not leave the church. We have to wait for the leadership to follow out the processes that are indicated. And in the meantime, you pray your rosary every day. Pray the rosary every day. You're not on the team. Pray your rosary every day. Go to Mass. Find a traditional Latin Mass. Find the Divine Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. Pursue holiness. Catechize your kids with the Baltimore Catechism and the Catechism of the Council of Trent. Do everything you can do to equip yourself to become a competent Catholic. Read the Bible every day. Get yourself a Dewey Rames Bible. Know your faith. They can do wild stuff upstairs in the Vatican. Down here, we have to continue on the path of sanctity. Just like Joseph in the Old Testament, why did my brother sell me into slavery? Why am I in this prison cell? Why am I in Egypt? But he got to work and he, he lived the vocation, the plan that God had for him. And at the end, God used all that to redeem the problem that happened in his family. So we have to hold out hope that that's the case for us. All right, let's pray Hail Mary together. Oremus. Nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Peter and Paul, pray for us. Nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, so you have your marching orders, you have your homework. It didn't come from a guy, a dad on a webcam. Go to Mass is the teaching of the church. Pray the Rosary is the teaching of Padre Pio and dozens and dozens of saints and the express instruction of Our Lady of Fatima. Read the Bible, teaching of the popes. Even St. Jerome says it. 
Read St. Thomas Aquinas. Council of Trent tells you to do that. Catechize your children. All of these things are taught by the church. Just do them. Live the norms of the Catholic faith. Most of all, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I said rejoice. Christ died for you. Christ loved you. There is a plan for all of this. Endure in your faith, in your hope, in your charity. Ultimately, when you die, you are not going to be asked to solve advanced, complicated papal riddles or ecclesiology. The people who died during the Great Schism, Western Schism, they were not judged on their knowledge of ecclesiology or conciliarism or was it the Spanish or the British or whoever was right on that question. They were judged on love. Did you love God? Did you love your neighbor? Did you fulfill what was told in Matthew 25? Did you believe the right faith? That's, that's it right there. Thanks for watching. Remember our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless. God's breed. Pray the rosary every day or you're not on the team. Do it.